Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Naz. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. We have a tradition in our family, usually around Christmas time, where we have washed these rocks. Uh, started years ago. Not quite sure how it got started. Probably Melody did it because she's amazing at celebrating Jesus and our family. And so uh, we would put things on the rock about things that God had done for us when we wanted to remember the great move of God in that year, maybe uh, his, his touch spiritually or physically, something that happened in the family. And so um, we've got a, a new home now that we've moved into, and, and we will again, no doubt, find a place for these rocks that's cherished around Christmas time. And so I reached down in the Home Depot bucket where the rocks are being stored temporarily, and I pulled out the first one that I could find, and it had 2014 Nana on the rock. I love Nana. She's uh, the kid's grandma, of course, and Melody's mom, and, and Nana's this amazing lady. Uh, I remember when Kaylee was uh, born that Nana came and taught us how to wrap her up so that she'd stop crying because we were parents who knew nothing in the moment. And I remember when she left us and I was holding Kaylee in my arms and I was terrified because I didn't know what to do with this little baby. Anybody been there? So Nana held a special place in my heart and Nana wrote on her 2014 rock, Joshua chapter 4. That was interesting. And then uh, she put down prayer and she had the name of one of her children on the rock, believing that God would eventually not allow her children to escape her prayers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? She's got that kind of prayer life, and she wrote underneath this child's name the word faithful. Just a, a testimony to the fact that God is faithful. The next thing on a rock, she wrote down uh, Pastor Tears, saving of our family. Pastor Tears uh, was a a veteran of the war, a, a fighter pilot. And he came home from the war and he uh, Christ the same way he fought with patriotism for our nation. And he introduced Dale and Alice McCauley from dysfunctional backgrounds, not knowing Jesus, introduced them to Jesus Christ and changed their lives forever. And so when Nana wrote the, the significant movement, the God-only kind of movement in her life, uh, she couldn't help but write down that person who decided with great bravery to share Jesus with her. And then she, the last thing that she put on the rock in 2014 was faithful witness, meaning, Lord Jesus, would you make me a faithful witness like Daryl Tear was for me? Go Nana. When I think about that, I, I can't help but be brought to the passage that Nana received that idea from via melody. It's found in Joshua chapter 4. Joshua had been commanded by God. He said, I, I want you to understand you need to be strong and courageous. We heard about that, Rock Shazak from uh, uh, Steve Carter when he came. The command was the, the river is at flood stage. And as I was with Moses, I'll be with you, but you've got to put your foot in the water. You've got to trust. We can't borrow faith from the previous generation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so 
It's a lot of fun to put your toe in the water on a nice summer day when it's three inches deep, but when it's in flood stage, it's dangerous and powerful and can sweep you away. And if God isn't with you, you're in big trouble. But in that God-only moment, Joshua had the priest take the ark, and they put their toes in the water, and it parted. That water parted, and the waters pushed clear to the towns behind and beyond. Here's a truth. When we trust God, when we become strong and courageous, it doesn't just affect a small circle. It affects everybody around and beyond. Amen? And so they did that, and then um, Joshua came, and he gave this command. By the way, it wasn't a great suggestion. It was a command. This is something that we're going to do because it's important. So let's stand on our feet and see what, what it was that Nana was referencing and what it was that God was speaking in Joshua chapter 4, verse 2. Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. And bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in a time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off so that these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. You may be seated. When I, when I think about this, I, I wonder what would cause God to command his people to take stones from the river and, and place them on the bank as a memorial forever. When I, I think about it, I'm reminded um, about a, a lady named Marion Blumenthal Luzon. Uh, she was at, at Eagle High School. I got to interview her personally. Uh, Marion, when she was nine years old, was taken in the, the watches of the night by the Nazis to a, a death camp. And there she experienced things that a child ought not to have to experience. She remembers looking out one time where she saw a wagon load of what she assumed had to be logs for the fire so that they could finally be warm. And when it arrived, it was not that at all. Uh, Marion, uh, to survive the, the horror of the moment, she, she said she played a game with herself. She would go find four smooth stones every single day, and she would hide them. And then she would go throughout the camp and find those stones and bring them back, representing the four members of her, fa of her family. And, and if she could somehow keep the stones in her memory, that it, that it was going to be all right. She gathered together all of Eagle High School in that moment, and I'm assuming she did this wherever she went, and she had all of the high school students stand and the guests, the, the few of us that were there and the, the faculty, 
And she said, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when you'll be in a coffee shop. It, it might be soon, it might be years away, but, but you're going to be in, in a grocery store line, or, or you're going to be talking to the cable guy, or you're going to be talking to one of your kids, and they're going to say to you, the Holocaust never happened. And she said, I want you to know you're the last living generation that will have actually heard from a survivor. And when I'm long gone, everyone's standing on her feet at that moment. She said, when I'm long gone, I want you to promise that you'll stand and speak for me. I want you to promise that you'll say, I met her. I read her book. I heard her story. And I want you to know these things really happened and are true. And she made them raise their hand and promise that they would speak up instead of being silent. You, you see, she said something at that moment that struck me. She said, if you don't say it, they'll never believe it. But if you do say it, they'll never forget it. If you don't say it, they'll never believe it. But if you do say it, they'll never forget it. Why would God command a group of people to put up memorial stones? Because if we don't say it, they'll never believe it. If we do say it, they'll never forget it. I, I like to imagine what was happening in this story uh, when, I, when I read it, I, can, is it okay if I fill in the blank with my imagination? <laughs> These were, in my mind, Israel's strongest men. After all, if you're going to choose 12 men to represent the nation and to represent every person, and it's going to be a memorial stone, you don't choose your weakest guys. And I, I know that the Waihee River, where I like to fly fish, the the rocks can be this high, and I like to think they brought in their strongest men filled with adrenaline, and they picked up the big rocks, and they, they went right to the place that Joshua talked about where the Ark of the Covenant had been. And, and, and then they, they, they took those stones, and they put them on their shoulders, and they carried them to the banks. I, I think those big, strong men, I believe that the Holy Spirit was involved as they picked up those large rocks. God likes weightlifting, Amen. And as they took those rocks and carried them on their shoulders, I, I'd just like to believe that the Holy Spirit touched them and that they were winking away and claiming it was the dust, not the tears, but it was. Because I think that something was happening powerfully in their lives because that spot, verses five, 4 and 5, that talk about when your children ask what happened here, the Hebrew word is masavat. It means what went on here. I want you to talk about what went on here. What was it that went on here? Uh, the, it says the, the place where the priest stood and where the Ark of the Covenant was, the priest re representing accent to God, access to God, and the, the Ark of the Covenant was a, a box about this big, by this big that was uh, containing three things. It had the budding staff of Aaron. It had manna from the wilderness that had been miraculously preserved, and it had the stone tablets representing the law. Any, any rough guesstimation of who might represent the stone tablets 
and the, the manna and the, the priestly function of Aaron and the budding staff. Anybody got a, just a guesstimation? Jesus. Who was it? Represents who? Jesus. And so Joshua revealing what's going on, he says, now I want you to take the place where the, the water stopped and the Ark of the Covenant stood and I want you to get the stones from that very place and, and then I want you to, to it, it's the place of fear that became the, the place of faith that became walking out of the firm foundation and where God moved in your life in a powerful way and where you went to the other bank and it was a place of rest and renewal and power and promise and I want you to, I want you to take the stone from that place and when your kids ask, what happened? I want you to tell them, this, what's went, this is what went on here. In chapter 4, verse 22, at the end of the chapter, Joshua is talking to them, and he tells them again, but he adds a little bit. He says, by the way, make sure that when your children ask what happened, you tell them that it was dry ground. Oh. When God does something, he does it in a God-only moment, in a powerful way, that there's no other explanation that could happen that it was this place of fear and this place of faith and this firm foundation walking it out and this place of, of rest and God did that for all the nation, for every person and the message is that God does that for all of us when we become his children. You may not even be able to articulate when you're a tiny baby or a one-year-old or a two-year-old what happened for you, but you were into the family, you made a decision, and there was that God-only moment, and God touched you, and, and you can speak about, some of us can talk about when God radically touched me, and when he changed me, and when he took away the sin. As an adult, it's on our memory, or as a teenager, but it might be that we grew up in the church, but the fruit is true nevertheless, and God did a work, and, and that when somebody asked me, what in the world is going on with you? I have an answer for them. Massavat. Here's what happened there. Oh. I think it's important. Nicholas Kristof. Anybody read Nicholas Kristof's stuff? New York Times reporter? Uh, Nicholas uh, wrote in one of his last articles that 49% of America claim an affinity with Christianity as their faith. 49%. Christoph says, I, I can't verify it. It's hard to get stats back to the nation's history, but he said, as far as I know, it's the first time in the nation's history that America represents itself the way we see ourselves as less than half Christian. I think that's a big deal. I think that it's a, 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 an important alarm that has gone off that ought to tell us that, that America doesn't see ourselves as wanting to be associated with the faith that has been known as the historical faith of our nation. I, I believe that it's important and, and that if we don't share it, if we don't say it, the world will never believe it. But if we do say it, they'll never forget it. Uh, it's important that we have that understanding, that sense of urgency about, about what is going on. I'd like to see that trend Changed. Anybody with me? Uh, when, I, when I read the, the, the story of Joshua 
and I read the story of First Peter chapter 2, I think they were comparing notes. Because uh, I can't help but when Peter talks about stones in, in the, the story of, of his writing to the church, uh, I think he might have been thinking about David who picked up five smooth stones and he ran directly to giant. No, I, come on, folks. I, I mean, really? He ran at a giant. <laughs> or, 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 or he may have been thinking about Joshua and what Joshua had to say. And, and in Peter's writing to the church, he had been radically transformed. And he says in 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are living stones. You are speaking stones. You are living monuments to Jesus Christ. He, the reason I think that he was thinking back that way is that he actually is alluding to Isaiah and other ancients when he talks about these things in the passage. And he says, but verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous, into his marvelous light. Did you catch this? Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. You are sons of and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are no longer slaves to what once held you. You are empowered by God himself. You are adopted children. You have access to God. You, you give sacrifices to him because of the incredible things he's done for you. You were adopted in. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, you became his possession that he purchased with his own blood. Every sin that you committed was nailed to the tree. Every bit of shame that you once carried was placed upon his shoulders. Every decision you made that you want to take back, every word that you said, he carried for you. Every, every single bit of it was taken by Jesus Christ on the tree. And so that if we want to take any of the shame back, if we want to take any of the guilt back, it would diminish what he did. It can't be that he took all the guilt and all the shame and all the blame and all the brokenness and that we retain some of it because that would be less of him and more of us. But it's not more of us, it's more of him and less of us. Amen? And Paul says, we are his chosen priesthood. We have access now to the Father because of the cross. We go directly to God. We, we have immediate and ample access to him, and we are his loved and cherished possession. Any of you ladies have incredible jewelry that you just love. Would you swap it for your children? Don't answer that question. <laughs> he says, you and I are the possession the, it means first in line. Isn't it fun to be first in line? 
I was kind of a chubby kid. I got always picked last, always last in the class when it came to sports events when I was in elementary school. I'm afraid it would be so today as well. <coughs> and the, the language in the Greek, Greek, when you read it, gives this sense of first of class, best of show, picked by God. We are a royal priesthood, adopted children with access to the Father, and we are then designed for the proclaiming of his excellencies because of what he has done for us. Paul the Apostle says, I, I want you to be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. Sports fans understand this, don't we? Uh, in season and off season. You talk about your Seahawks or your Michigan or your Buckeyes or whatever the team is. I talk about fly fishing and hunting. I can't help it. It's, it's the stuff we do. And the apostle writing, Peter, when he talks about it, he says, I, I just want you to become so accustomed to sharing this Jesus thing, this God-only moment in your life when God took you from fear to faith to, to a firm walk to going to the other side of peace. It might be a, a moment of healing. It might be your salvation moment. When somebody says, what happened here, Massavot, we're ready to give an answer for what happened. It's like the cable guy. He came to my, you know, there's, there's uh, in-season moments when our kids say, Daddy, Mommy, tell me how I can ask Jesus into my heart. That's an in-season moment. When we're praying beside their bed every night like we always do and giving them a Jolly the Squirrel story and a Jesus story and when I was a little story so they can keep up late at night and they're totally bamboozling us. It's in those moments, the in-season moments that we can share Jesus. But then there's the out-of-season moments when, when we, the cable guy comes to the door and the Holy Spirit knocks with him. Anybody had that moment? Uh, this is the moment when, when James comes to my door and he wants to sell me cable I don't know. And so he thinks he's there to sell me cable, but I know that he's there so that I can give him Jesus. He wants to charge me something that costs money and I want to give him something that's incredible for, incredibly free. And so we begin to talk, and, and he, I ask him in the middle of the, the, the conversation about cable, this very natural question is, do you have a church? From the front door. And Melody's kind of shrinking further and further away from the front door. Because I happen to think it's very natural to talk about Jesus to cable guys. And I ask him if he, he knows anything about the church and if he'd like to come by, and, and I'd like to have your phone number, and I got his phone number. And in the midst of it, I said, listen, if you come by the church and visit us, I will investigate your, your cable and probably buy it from you. Not because I care anything about your cable, because I have cable and I don't need cable, but I desperately want you to come to know Eagle Nazarene because it's an amazing place with an amazing God who loves Jesus. And you, you just come one time, you'll never forget what you came for. I know it's a little bit annoying. Okay, do not agree with me. But I have this sense. And by the way, we all have different gifts. Not everybody, not everybody has the gift of annoying. We all have different gifts, and we're introverts, and we're extroverts, and we, I, I understand that. But I have this sense that I would so much rather get to the end of time and have annoyed the cable guy 
who found Jesus than never asked the question. Steve Carter said, Let, let's not say other people's no for them. Let's celebrate the no's. Let's ask the question. Let's invite people in. Because we never know how when someone knocks on the door, the Holy Spirit might have already knocked on their heart. And so we enter into a discussion with them and we begin to talk with them and, and God works in incredible ways. Steve Carter said uh, these things about this passage. He said, um, Peter said that as living stones, we should live such good lives that others will see our good deeds and glorify God. The phrase good deeds in Hebrew is the word mitzpah, which refers to sacred. God-oriented deeds, the idea being that people who are far from God will see the way that you orient your life and will want to know more. They will, the way you live your life should evoke a curiosity in everyone you meet, this curiosity about the choices you make, the peace you offer, the wisdom you display, and the love you exude should cause them to ask Massabot what happened there. Never underestimate the influence in a certain context. We have no idea about the inner workings of Christ within and among us. We have a choice to make, of course. We can be silent stones or living stones. When someone asks what makes you different, you need to decide what kind of stone you will be, silent and secret or living and inviting. I like to hunt. I don't like to kill things so much as much as I, I, I think my hunting is more like taking my gun for a walk. <laughs> okay, you guys really think that's funny. <laughs> Colton and I were standing on the top of a mountain one day and he said, Dad, um, over there, remember what happened? And over that spot, remember when we hiked out together and that? And then Colton says, you said something very powerful to me. You said, Dad, the mountain tells our story. And we could look out at the mountain and without even saying a word, we could see what had happened there. And I believe that our lives tell a story. And Jesus when he was talking to us, he commanded us. It wasn't a great suggestion. It was a command. Please, it's like that kind of command. Please go and tell the world what I've done for you, how I have transformed your lives, how different I have made it because I, I want all my children home. And, and I, I have this conviction that if we share it, if we don't share it, they won't believe it. And if we do, they'll never forget it. And so I want you to stand on your feet for a minute. Would you bear with me, would you? All of us just standing together. Um, when, when I think about this, there, there was an article that Pastor Brent gave me. We were talking about this message together in our teaching team, and we were just talking about Marion Blumenthal, and Brent said, look at this article. And it was a principal in Florida that had just been fired because she wouldn't teach the Holocaust as a real event. Marion Blumenthal has said, sometime in your lifetime, I don't think that she would have imagined that it was going to be just a few years later. Um, I, I think that you're going to be in a coffee shop or a water cooler conversation or a shopping center 
or a conversation with a friend or you're going to be talking like we do with one of your children and somebody's going to say, you know what, I, that Jesus stuff, I just don't think it adds up. And I'd like to think about what might happen, Eagle Naz, with an entire church who's committed. When I think about it, I think about Marion Blumenthal had the kids do something with their hands. I don't know if it's here or here, but they made a commitment. Because she said, we're one generation away from being forgotten. Did you know that in the church, in the body of Christ, our faith is one generation away from being forgotten. And I, I believe it still holds true that if we don't share it, they won't believe it. But if we do, they'll never forget it. I just believe that. And so I like to think about that moment where we're in that conversation and we begin to say now before it happens so that we're ready soon or late. We're ready at the water cooler. We're ready with that friend. Lord Jesus, I receive I've received something incredible from you. I've received salvation from you. Jesus, I'm so thankful. You changed my heart. You made me new. You touched my life. A lady walked out of the service just before, the, after the first service, and she said, I got to tell you a story about how Jesus touched me. It wasn't about her salvation. It was an about, about event in her life that just caused incredible praise, and it's wonderful, worthy of sharing kind of information. That Jesus, I receive what you've done for me. I say thank you. And then hands down, Lord, I, I give all the stuff to you. All the stuff to you about my story that I don't love and I don't even really want to share. But Jesus, you've taken my shame. You've taken my blame. My story is now for your glory. Because after all, God, I can't any longer, I can't any longer hold the blame and the shame because that would take credit from you. You took it all. So I can't hold it, so you've got it. So God, from now on, I don't listen to the enemy's lies about the fact that I'm not good enough to share my story for your glory. Did you know that, that Revelation 12, 11 says the enemy Satan was overcome by the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb? Overcoming power, nothing more powerful than the blood of the lamb and the testimony of the church. And then, okay, Lord, all right, it's in my heart, I'll share. Okay, so here's, here's what I want you to do before I pray, if you're willing, because it's how I think of it. Hands out, Lord Jesus, I receive. And today, maybe you've never even asked Jesus into your life, but you're here, and you would be with us all together saying, yes, Jesus, I receive faith. I receive that moment where fear becomes faith. I'm in. And Lord, hands down, so all of our hands down, I give this to you. I give you my story. I give you my life. Would you use my testimony? And Lord, okay, it's in my heart. It might be a little scary, but right here, Lord, my hand's on my heart. I'll share. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that is ours to live the invitational life. And Father, we lay these things before you. We lay our story before you. And we ask that you would give us strength and wisdom and insight to be able to, to give a reason always to everyone for the hope that lies within us. And Lord, we just believe that as a church with such commitment that it might be that we run into Nicholas Kristoff down the road sometime 
And he said, it's amazing how the numbers changed and the, there was this ripple effect that started at Eagle, Idaho and to the community beyond. And it went further than we would have imagined and it affected people all around. And Lord, the, we'd be able to say the numbers are different. The, there are people all around us who claim Jesus Christ as their own. May it be so with us, Father. May it start with us and our homes and our lives and our workplaces and then ripple out to the church beyond our walls. And we give you praise and honor and glory that belong to you alone in Jesus' name. And everyone said,